This is your boy, DC, the Brain Supreme Tag Team. And you're listening to the Shadows Podcast. Whoop! There it is. Sprinkle! Welcome to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. This is your host, Trip Bodenheimer, with a couple of quick announcements for all of you. Before I do so, I would like to say thank you to all of our Shadows listeners from the bottom of my heart. None of this would be possible without the support of our listeners now in over 60 countries. Now, first, as we approach our two-year anniversary and over 100 episodes under the Shadows umbrella, we're about to shake things up. That's right. Starting Monday, August 1st, Rise from the Shadows Season 2 Behind the Mask will debut and will run every Monday until our season finale on Monday, October 24th. Rise from the Shadows will focus on the mini mask that we wear. Our goal this season is for our listeners to understand we wear these masks trying to please others, but in the process, we begin to lose ourselves. We will be transparent, vulnerable, and unshielded as we unmask and face topics dealing with our social, emotional, physical, and spiritual pillars. And after 30 minutes, each and every Monday, all 13 episodes will leave our listeners feeling inspired. Then the Shadows Podcast returns on Halloween night, Monday, October 31st for a brand new relaunch of the Shadows Podcast. That's right. We're going to throw away our mask on Halloween night, step back into the darkness, and tackle our internal boogeyman head on. We have a new format, new guest, and each episode will be shown in its entirety on the Shadows Podcast YouTube channel. So make sure you're following the Instagram page at the underscore Shadows Podcast. We're also now on Twitter at the Shadows Pod and the Shadows Podcast Facebook page. Also check out all of our episodes on any of the major podcast platforms and at www.theshadowspodcast.com. Now, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy this episode of the Shadows Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to another episode of The Shadows Podcast. Today, I am joined by Matthew Brackett. He is the founder of Brackett Alliance, spent some time as a naval chaplain, Catholic ministry for 30 years. Sir, welcome to The Shadows Podcast. Thank you very much, Edward. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure to have you on here. Uh, We were connected probably a, a little over a month ago, I would assume, and had a nice conversation on the phone, just trying to set up a time to make this happen, but I'm excited now that we've actually were able to hit the record button, but for our listeners out there, tell them where you're located. I am actually right now in Mexico City. I'm originally from the area of um, north of New England, you know, uh, outside Boston, mm-hmm. small England, but I'm located right now in Mexico City. Well, I've, I, in my ministry experience, I had a lot of Latin American experience. I like Latin American culture, the language, the people whether it be Mexico or Central America or South America. So I'm just sort of in a moment of my life where I can explore um, different places and, and explore possibilities of living in Mexico or some other countries. So that's what brought me here. I'm just. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely start to unpack your, your journey here in just a moment. But before we do that, I'm going to put you through the same five rounds uh, did we do all, all guests? He told me he's super excited about the, the five rounds piece to kick things off. 
brought to you by giant worldwide head over to giant.tv forward slash shadows check out all of their amazing stuff they have to offer first question for you what do you do to get out of your head to get out of my head and that's i i get in my head a lot uh, so i am um, social interactions really helpful mm. i love uh, interacting you know things like this and just meeting with people talking that helps me a lot to just calibrate and um i go to the gym it's sort of one of the moments where i'm in flow if i had a piano here i'd play the piano uh, i don't uh, i do i enjoy music and go for a walk those are some ways that i get out of my head just escape yeah what uh what book recommendation do you have for our listeners oh boy i'm not i'm a <laughs> i let me just qualify myself as um i'm not an avid reader i read when i want when i'm looking for something right or on the educational side i read when i have to or when yeah. I, just, I wish i was more of an avid reader because i know it would help me so much in uh, in many other aspects of my life and what? not a habit i have so i one book that's i just read flourish um, by peter seligman just because it had to do with the course that i'm doing on positive psychology mm. I enjoyed that. Um, great by Angela, Angela Duckworth. I've, um, and a, a lot of it has to do with my own professional development, but I've enjoyed those. I, I enjoy listening to John Maxwell. He's got some good stuff. Yes. I don't have any really specific recommendation. But okay. We'll go with yeah. flourish and great. Those, are, those will be your two. Okay. <laughs> so you, you, you did it after all. What do you think people undervalue today? You're making me go out on a limb here. Uh, undervalue. Edward, thanks for that question. There's a few things that pop into my mind, if you don't mind that I give a few. And one is the, the beauty and complexity of relationship. Mm. Beauty, but also the complexity that it's, it's not as simple as it looks. Right. In human relationships. The, another thing that pops into my mind is the value of discretion, hmm. of how we manage information. And with that goes confidence and the, and the trust of people and, and how, we, how we manage other people's information, confidentiality. And I don't mean just on a professional level, but even just on a personal level and relationships and the way we manage people's information. And with that, I suppose Liz linked to that is the value of Respect, even though there's a lot of talk about respect, but I think um, the dignity of the person and their good name is undervalued. And I suppose the golden rule that do unto others, treat others as you would want to be treated. Well, it's again, it's a lot. We can talk about it, but um, when the rubber hits the road, um, it's not always a reality. So I think that's undervalued. What's the main thing that influences your decisions? Well, there's a few things that influence my decisions. One is um, alignment with values. Another one is doing good. Mm -hmm. What is what will most benefit uh, others and myself? As well, I have a caring nature. That's burnt them. I'm going to go on a tangent here, but that, that's burnt me a few times where I, I care too much, you know, and so I've, I've learned I need to step back. Um, again, we learn as we go, right? Yeah. Um, hard lessons to learn. Um, I think my values in, in doing good 
and what would be the best use of my time yeah and also what is um what is that inside of my boundaries as far as i'm not over commit over committing mm-hmm. with regards time or my energy yeah okay these are some good answers and then final one what is something that you are afraid to try that i'm afraid to try it's not moving and starting over at a new spot we know that <laughs> All right. um a few things that come to mind when i when you ask me what am i afraid to try is i like i'm a i like adventures adventures activities let's just say you know skydiving i've never done those things right bungee right. jumping all that stuff so um i would that's, that's stuff that i say i would love to do that but um when you know when i'm standing there ready to jump i'm not sure how <laughs> I, think <my laughs> I think my fear would be pretty pretty high um i've never tried drugs so i would be very very afraid to try drugs hmm. um never been drunk and i would be very afraid to be drunk so i don't know this might be a record but uh i have never been drunk as well this <laughs> might be the first time there's been two of us on here that have <laughs> share that but i tell people and they look at me like i have three heads but i'm like yeah i've legit never been drunk uh in my life it's not something i've ever wanted to experience um i've seen too many other people do it around me so all right so yeah we're yeah we're rolling now well you survived the five rounds design presented by giant worldwide head over to giant.tv forward slash shadows now sir let's jump into your journey so you mentioned you grew up uh in new england right outside of boston and you were the 10th of 13 children. Did I hear that correct? You did. Yes. What in the world was that like growing up? <laughs> well, that was our normal. So we, <laughs> that was our everyday. So I never saw it as, as strange, but when it's always a great icebreaker in, when you're meeting people or, you know, or when I've had to introduce myself to groups of people, people always found that fascinating. But now, as I look back, it's, it's great admiration for my parents what did um, your parents do? My mother was, she went to college. She was a graduate as a nurse. She mm-hmm. never practiced. Um, she got married after, after nursing school. My dad was an electrical engineer. He was in the Air Force for four years. Then he wow. you know, yeah. used the GI Bill to go to Northeastern University, graduated electrical engineering. And the Air Force helped him. He just passed away a few months ago. But I'm he, sorry. He, the Air Force helped him to realize um, the talent and quality that he had, especially on the in the intellectual, how in, that he was smart. He grew up again. In, in, his dad died when he was very young, so he grew up in a large family. They went through the depression and everything, so they, you know, and their family didn't have a lot. So he didn't know what what strengths he had. So he always says that his time in the Air Force helped to highlight and to kind of bring to the surface a lot of his um, potential. Yeah. He gave him some confidence, and so he went to. Um, Northeastern graduated electrical engineering and then he worked for different companies like IBM, but then he worked for an international company called um, United Fruit, United Brands. It's changed names over the years, but they would have owned a lot of different things throughout the world. One of them, Chiquita Banana, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So that would bring him a lot to the tropics. So he, so yes, that's why, that's what he did to my parents. We, when growing up again, our, well, my parents, I don't know if you mind if I go on this tangent, but no, absolutely. for my parents, having so many kids, it was they wanted 
they created an environment at home where our home and our yard was like a playground. Yeah. And there, I think their intent, as they told me later on, was that we wouldn't want to go other places, but rather we would just have a great time at home with our siblings and we had animals. We had sort of like a mini farm and a pool, uh, you know, and where we could use our imagination, our creativity, where we could get dirty, where we could, my older brothers were, you know, they would, they would make cars and, you know, little go-karts and stuff like that. They were just very, they were very creative. You know, we had a barn where we would jump around and play, play all kinds of games. And so, and then we, that was a place where friends and family would come. So our house, not only was it filled with, with uh, children, Right? But it was also filled with guests and friends and, and family. And my parents always had space for more people. Wow. Well, if they had room for 13 kids, well, then they, they always had space for a family that was going through difficulty, relatives, you know, people that were going through different transitions. They needed a place to, to, uh, to stay. So we always had other people living with us as well, which That's I suppose, um, yeah, in the end, you can kind of look back on it as there's positives to that and maybe negatives. As far as, um, and then when we look back, it's like, well, I wish I would have had more quality time with my parents. Yeah. Right. But, but in the end, it was, they taught us generosity. They taught us openness of heart, right. Caring. And, um, you know, my, my siblings, they, two of them are adopted. Right. And so the, again, that just shows my, my parents, the, the openness of the house, openness of the heart. Um, and for us, so we grew. That's the environment we, we grew up. A lot of faith as well. Faith was very important to, to them and to us. So going to a, Catholic, a small Catholic school, being educated in the faith, and praying together as a family, values like that. I'm assuming y'all had to bring yeah. two vehicles everywhere y'all went, even yeah. even to go to church or to go out to eat. It was, I was the funny thing is my mother didn't like big cars. So I said, but back in those days, I don't know if you're, you, I don't know if you, you're old enough to remember that, but you know, seatbelts weren't a big thing. Right. Yep. And so um, we'd stack, you know, we could fit like 12 kids between cousins and, and us into a, into a Ford Escort. Yeah. Right. And I remember, you remember that some cars had bay windows. Oh yeah. Yep. In the back. Right. So I, as a kid, I used to, that was where I would take a nap so many times. <laughs> Is you know from security now you look at it you're like oh boy that was, <laughs> but that was that's the way it was growing up. It was a different time. <laughs> it was our seatbelts were always stuck under the seats and we, we never knew where they were. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember my parents had a station wagon and like the back of that station wagon was like a playroom for me. It was now I would tell my daughter like sit down get your seat but for me I was <laughs> laying out back there and yeah it was it was fun. What's your relationship like with your siblings now? I mean, that's, I imagine that's not a, you know, Tuesday night, I'm going to sit down and call everybody, but how hard is that to maintain a relationship with 12 others? It's definitely challenging. I have to be very intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And as we'll talk later on, you know, I was away from home for a long time for about, I don't know, 20, 25 years and mostly in other countries. So I was, and as I look back, I wish I would have been made a better um, effort to be mm -hmm. closer to my siblings. I missed a lot of important events and, and it just, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't very intentional. And in over the last probably 10, 12 years, I've been much more intentional about really, I call people on their birthdays. Yep. Right. And um, Mother's Day, I call all my sisters and, and my sister-in-laws. And so and anniversary, wedding anniversaries, things like that. So that's where I'm intentional. Then when I go home, when I spend time at home and I would visit home, you know, I usually for a week or two weeks, 
usually my all my time is going around visiting siblings. Do, do most so, of them still stay in the New England area? Most of them are in the New England area. So it's, and I've tried to visit when those aren't, that aren't in New England area. I tried to go make, again, being intentional about going to visit them. I suppose going back to the golden rule, treating others as I would like to be treated. Yeah. Thinking about them, making time to go visit them, making that meaningful. Um, yeah, if we go back to the family dynamics, I think there's a great love among us, but it's not like we're oh, like really close or that we or we open up to each other. And that just wasn't the sort of the dynamic that we grew up in. Even right. with our parents, they, again, they grew up, they came from families where they weren't close to their parents. So that, that, they, that sort of continued in our relationship with them. A lot of love, a lot of um, care, you know, families first, but at the same time, but not a whole lot of confidence and openness and things like yeah. that. What were some of your aspirations as a child? As a child, I, as I look back, you know, and I would write my story and things, I sort of felt like I going on, I lived, I felt like I lived in the shadows mm. and where I wasn't, that's supposed to the downside of having a big family is where you feel like you're lost Yeah. in the, again, with no, 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 I'm not, it's not about finger pointing here. It's just, that's where I was um, lost in the multitude, right? Um, I'm thinking of a personal experience because my siblings would say I would, you know, I was the apple of my mother's eye and things like that. But just from my subjective experience as a boy, there's I don't, there's not a whole lot I remember. I, of course, there was always safety and things like that. But it was, I kind of, I was, I started playing soccer from a young age, so I was interested in, you know, I, hockey and soccer were sports that I loved. And so mm-hmm. as a child, you always dream about being, I suppose, more on the hockey side of. of of being in the limelight fresh. I never, that wasn't a, a realistic possibility, but it was something that you kind of dream of, right? Um, soccer, again, wasn't really, wasn't, I didn't, I grew up playing, but it wasn't, in the States, it wasn't a huge professional thing back then. Right. So it wasn't seen as a possibility, even though some of my coaches thought that I, I could I could go pro, but I didn't, aspirations were, I, I didn't have any. And so that's probably why at the age of 18, uh, I went and did a volunteer work experience. I did a year of volunteering with a Catholic organization, sort of because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. And so it was it was a journey to to find myself and to sort of and also to get away from. I suppose when you grow up in a big family, the ten, you know, there's a lot of I suppose just the family dynamics and pressures and expectations, and I wanted to step away from that. Um. I didn't verbalize it at that because I didn't know what it was, what it was, but I just right. know I wanted to get away. <laughs> and how was that when you went from living in such a big family to now you're 18 and you're out on your own? And well, we, I think we were, we grew up pretty self-sufficient. We were taught from a young mm-hmm. age. So we had to work from a very young age. We had to earn money. We had to um, take care of ourselves. I would, you know, I had to get myself to my soccer practices and get myself to work and, so we became very self, and I, I have great credit to my parents, I think, right. uh, on that self-sufficiency and, and certain healthy independence. Um, but um, so it was just for us, for me, it was a natural thing. It was like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, and I was, I went to Ireland at the age of 18. So, so I was, I was 17, actually. I turned 18 while I was there um, to do volunteer work, to work at a, at a school. Yeah. Uh, not too much of a language gap over there. No, so. no, no, not too much. Yeah. 
it was a fascinating, fascinating experience. And um, yeah, for me, it was just a normal thing. I suppose for other people, they, they would view it as, as pretty radical change. <laughs> and that's the even better part of the story. I think the part that's going to go overlooked by a lot of people is that you went to Ireland and you still sit on here and say that you've never been drunk. Uh, so, <laughs> so good for you. But with that, you were, you said you were there for a year and what was the biggest thing you discovered about yourself? I I'm going to be honest here. I, I think there was, I lived sort of disconnected from myself. Mm. And I was, you know, I was involved in a lot of work. I was doing a lot of good things. Um, it was, it was a good, it was a great experience, but I'm not sure how connected I was with what was going on inside of me. Yeah. Maybe that's a, I'm not sure how it's, that's a normal experience for an adolescent or for a teenager. Um, but my, I just had, I, I really, I have great memories of, of that time. Wait. But I think I was still, I was still searching. I felt probably a little lost. Yeah. And you did one year in Ireland, and then what was your next step after that? That's I, that's when I decided to join the seminary. Hmm. Right. So there were there's certain events that led up to that, and but I I decided to. And part of it was, I suppose, if you ask about aspirations, I wanted to do I wanted to do something good in life. I wanted to make a difference. Yeah. And and that would probably be an honest answer to that question as well. I I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. I wanted to make difference in the world do something meaningful i was really wasn't attracted to the just the normal job i even going to college at that time i and so when i i suppose joining the seminary and as a path to you know joining a religious order and becoming a priest i saw that as this is a way that i can do something good this is a platform that will lead that will give me that will open doors to um to make a difference in people's lives, to do something meaningful. And I was called, I felt the call to, and we were sort of educated. I was felt the call to be heroic, to do something heroic. So I saw this as a path of, of generosity, of self-giving, giving myself to service of others, service of God and, and others. And uh, that was worth it. So that's what I did. And you made a meaningful career out of it your um ministry from was 1991 to 2020 is that correct that's right yes so 91 to 2020 and talk about some places to to travel to italy colombia chile england ireland mexico what is looking back at that 30 year journey what are some things that really stand out from that the first thing that comes to mind is the beauty of the human person. Mm. As when you're in ministry, you know, as, as a Catholic priest, now of those 30 years, you know, 10 of them were dedicated more to definitely towards aspects of ministry, but also education, you know, and training and education to be ordained a priest. So the beauty of the human person, I think wherever I went and, and I was, I, you're, you're given that a window into people's lives, which I consider a very unique, special, and, and sacred window, or to sit in that sacred space with people about um, what they're going through, what they're like, you know. So that, that's the beauty of the human person and the goodness of the human person. But I, I believe in that, although they don't always get the headlines, right? but generally, 
everyone's trying to do their best. We all fumble through life trying to do our best. And there's a lot of goodness out there. And there's a lot of hurt, right? So that also affects us, like the wounds that we have in life. But the goodness, beauty of the human person, whether in, obviously things change through cultures, right? There's different filters, the way people live or, or view life or, but, um, but in the end, it's, the human person is the human person and the, the struggles and difficulties and challenges ended up being very similar. And the, and again, the beauty and the goodness, that's one thing. And I, I was given if I, so fortunate to be able to be invited into so many people's lives. And when you're in ministry, when you go to different countries, you're immersed in the culture you don't, you're not there as a tourist, you are living the lives of the people. And so you really learn a lot about the culture and the country and, in that way and again it was i as i look back i see that as so as what a what a great experience right that not everyone's able to have so i consider myself very fortunate in that regard and i've built up many friendships and relationships in all those different places which i i try to maintain to this day wow and that super envious i i love traveling that's one of the things that my family just absolutely loves doing uh, so very envious of you to be able to do that and to maintain those relationships and to stick on, you know, the topic of the beauty of the human person. I've also heard you mention the beauty of uh, their brokenness, finding beauty in brokenness. Talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Yes, Edward. Thank you. Um, that brings up a few things, I suppose, mm-hmm. two, two tracks is one is in my own life. And experiencing my own brokenness or illness, sickness, and woundedness, however you want to call it. Right? And but also that's and then in ministry, that's what you deal with, you know, with people. They're usually they come to you, you share the highest, you know, the most exciting and happiest moments from people's mm-hmm. lives, or the most the most difficult, right? When the, the when they're on mountaintops and when they're in the darkest of valleys. That's when we walk with people. So you see them, you know, and how they deal with, again, we use the word brokenness. You could use many other terms for it. And it just seems like it's, it's something about the human experience that, and it's not a negative thing, but we experience it as negative. It's, it's, it's a part of, it's sort of, it's the phenomenology of the human experience. It's growth, right? Right. No, you know, all, all these phrases of no, no, no pain, no gain, all that stuff, right? right? But it's so that it's pain of growth, right? So pain and brokenness all can lead to so much growth. So I suppose the beauty is that we, I think when we face it, we're faced as human beings, we, we live and we want to reject it. We want to deny it. We want to um, deflect it, right? Or come up with some sort of defense mechanism to, um, to deal with it, which is very natural. And but in the end, it doesn't help us to reconcile, to reconcile the challenges, difficulty, brokenness, woundedness, whatever you want to, right? And, and to bring light into it, to bring, um, when I use from the Christian world, I, I use the term resurrection, right? But that light is able to be brought into those darker spaces. So when we face it, when we lean into it, when we deal with it, when we try to live in the truth, then the, that brokenness or, or difficulty challenges, then it becomes a great strength. But when we deny it, or it, it ends up having a lot of power over us. 
Exactly what we talk about here on the Shadows Podcast. It's like a perfect synopsis of the show right there. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, it is. That's a great title. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the shadows. And there's some things now. I'm going to go on a tangent. There's some things that that when we don't deal with them, they grow in darkness. So when we put them in the closet, when we put them on the carpet, when we leave them in the shadows, because they scare us, because we don't like yeah. it. That believe me, there's a lot of things about myself that I didn't like over the years. Mm-hmm. Right, and I was in very dark places where I, I hated my life, I hated myself, um, and I didn't want to live. Right, and so. But when I brought those things out of the shadows, it was very challenging. But it brought life back. That's the short version. <laughs> so to, to unpack that a little bit, you mentioned you, you afraid to use drugs, haven't consumed alcohol enough to where you have uh, been intoxicated. So those are typically some of the things that play a large part in people. Um, getting caught up in their shadows. What was it in your life that, especially doing so much good work as you were doing, you're traveling the world, uh, making these connections, people look at it on the surface and they're like, wow, this has to be like the perfect life. But deep down, like, what do you think it was that was pulling you into that darkness? Uh, there's probably, there's a few things. But yes, people would look at, you know, look at my life and it did, it seemed fascinating. And, and I think, and I have, I've been gifted with a lot of talent and qualities. You know, I was successful in ministry and in relationships. Um, so there was this whole dark side that I, in, in ministry as, you know, just being a male, mm-hmm. we sort of, we want to put on a human being and then as a male and then being in ministry, and, and I also, I relate this also to my experience in the military, right? There's this facade, this strong facade that we feel like we have to put off and, and give off. And it's understandable. And of course, you know, we all, we all have a mask and a facade that, you know, in our professional life that we have to show. Right. But, um, but if that begins to create disconnect with our humanity, right? And a lot of, uh, and which was what, what I felt and without being able to notice it. Um, but it created a lot of just this disconnect um, where I was, you know, I could connect with people on, on, a, on a professional level. And always usually people would come to me, but did I have friends and people that I could really share with? No, it ended up being a very lonely place where you're surrounded mm-hmm. by people, where people lean on you a lot, where you're a point of reference, right? And you're conducting ceremonies and talks and conferences and this and that. But I would always step back into my loneliness. Mm. And, and then there was, and then so there was a sort of a feeling that I also, I was not only had a facade, but I was a farce, right? Yeah. That um, I wasn't who, what people thought I was. So, and so that really, that really sort of was, digs into integrity and honesty right which for me is important and so it was sort of like this very feeling very conflicted with myself over time right and so and then the catholic priesthood is a very unique lifestyle and there's again there's very there's a lot of beauty to it but there's a lot of um it's challenging mm-hmm. it's, um, it, it can be a very lonely lifestyle right? especially if, if we don't use certain tools to create community to create friendships and, and fraternity which I didn't have the tools to be able to do that. So I, I, um, 
I didn't do that. And so a lot of people considered me their friend, but I didn't really have, because again, because of professional relationships, it's not, it's a lot of times it's one-sided, right? People open up to you. And so over the years, I, I learned the, um, or I didn't learn how to create real, real deeper connections with people. So that led to a lot of loneliness. And then as you talk about, there's behaviors that we turn to as human beings to deal with the pain. Mm-hmm. Right? And we've talked about drugs or alcohol, right? It can be any sort of addictive behavior, it can be one, right? A behavior that has power over us, right? We look for some sort of satisfaction or what they call self medication. So I suppose, you know, and being lonely, not being in being living celibacy, it's sort of, you know, how did it shoot out sideways it was probably through my relationship with sexuality, with pornography, things like that, that, that became my go to. Um, to find consolation but did that help no it, it this led to more guilt and shame and um so it sort of dug me into a, a deeper hole and how'd you find yourself getting out of that hole i was <laughs> it was uh, it sort of tragic tragic or dramatic moments life had made me have to face those realities right like, you know you try and try and try you look for support um but it's hard to find, it's hard, sometimes hard to find good support yeah. right, to, to, to deal with that. And then as a priest, it led to, you know, the, to infidelity, right? And I just, I, I know someone that you had on here also talked about an affair. So yeah, so I, you end up, I ended up looking for where, you know, for life and for hope and for companionship where, first of all, where I wasn't supposed to, but also where I wasn't going to find it, right? And just sort of in sexual, again, very, temporary passing sexual relationships which again led me into just um, deeper conflict with myself yeah. and with the and with the lifestyle um and i don't just i think everything is understandable in its context even though it doesn't make it justifiable or right um i was i was on a journey of searching and that was it's probably about 12 years of a journey of searching mm. um, and I was, you look in the wrong places, you get burnt. And so, and then that, that sort of, that surfaces and it comes to front and then you have to deal with it. And so that was, I had to deal with it. Well, so so I, that, that led to, you know, it's beginning a therapeutic process and that led to be going into inpatient care for four months. And because of it, it was and it's not all about the, the sexual part. It's part of it's about the how did you going back to your original question? How did it show up? Well, in depression, anxiety, discontent, sadness, crisis of identity, right, where I felt I was stuck, where I was in a place of life where I I, um, I didn't want to be, but where I had to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was conflicted because it was it was I again it's a place where you can do a lot of good, but but. Um, I'm, I don't feel like I'm doing a lot of good. I'm doing, you know, I'm harming myself and very, very complex. So it took me a while. That's why I had the luxury of stepping away, you know, going into inpatient care. It's, I consider it a luxury because not everyone can step away from life for that amount of time. It's true. Is it, is it scary? Yes, it is because you have to face the shadows, right? And with a lot of honesty, did it, was it helpful? Definitely. Right, but I need to step away from ministry. I need to step away from certain environments. I need to. I needed professional help to, um, in a sort of people that I could trust. Right, that I didn't think they had an agenda. Mm-hmm. Right, and um, 
And so that there was a long journey there of two years of more therapeutic work and the four months included in that, in those two years is therapeutic, um, is the inpatient care, right? Where you just receive a lot more in, intense care, right? There's group stuff, there's individual stuff, very, very helpful. And you learn 12 step program. So a lot of, a lot of great education. So that led me to a sabbatical year where I was what I consider a journey home to myself. Mm. I went and lived with my dad. My mother since then passed away. So it was part of living with my dad. And, you know, and this brings back what I said as a child, sort of living disconnected from others, from my siblings, from myself at home. I wanted to go back home and, and learn to be Matthew again. Yeah. Right? Without the other titles and, and uniforms. So that's what I that's what I did. And I got a normal job, which again was a big deal for me because the priestly life, while it's unique, there's a lot of demands and there's a lot of sacrifices, but also it's your your you generally get pretty good treatment, right? And you can kind of live, you can disconnect also from the reality of people's lives. I'm not saying everyone's like that, but I saw that around me and yes, I said, well, I want to. To learn, we know what, what it's like to make a living. So I just, you know, I worked as a waiter, you know, where people didn't know about my past, about, you know, what I did before. So, so it was, you just, they treat you as, you're just some guy that came in and got a job. I worked as a driver uh, of a limousine company where you drive executives around, things like that. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I did my coaching training and I did, um, you know, just living at home. I, I continue with my, my weekly therapy and, it was a, a year of discernment and sort of to putting the pieces of my life together and, and trying to grasp and, and to understand it better and to reconcile a lot of things, to integrate yeah. a lot of things, to not live in, in conflict. And, and it became a very beautiful moment of my life where, again, where I came home to myself, where I no longer, where I, I, I began to, to love a lot of aspects about my life and about myself. Even to, to love what pain and difficulty and challenges had, um, the benefits that, that they had brought me. And as I can said, the, the, the friendship with pain and, and brokenness came from that. And, and that's led to a lot of good things where I can, I, I think it's helped me, serve me well to be able to help people better, to serve them better. So that's what that journey was like. And then at the end of that sabbatical year was when I wanted to step back into ministry to give it another try, feeling that I, I was at a much better, different and better place in life. In my relationship with myself, um, with the church, with, with the world, with life. And I wanted to try out ministry again to see how it, how it fit. And that's what I did. That's when I joined the Navy as a chaplain. And had such a, an amazing experience there in, uh, in Naval Chaplaincy working with Marines. Well, first of all, thank you so much for opening up and, and sharing that. And you were talking about, you know, you had to get back home, not just physically, but but mentally as well uh, and just recharge. So um, kudos to you for for sharing that. And uh, real quick sidebar question. Where were you a, a waiter at? Where did you wait tables? I was some, <laughs> I was some restaurant at a hotel near where I lived. Okay. I just, I looked for something close, something that was easy to get to. 
and yeah, so just normal New England, small town New England restaurant. Okay, I was a I was a Red Lobster guy for for a while, waiting tables there. So I heard I heard waiter. I was like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. So yeah, you you mentioned that you from uh, was it two thousand September of eighteen is when you joined the U.S. Navy as a chaplain. That's right. Yes. Talk to us about your your experience in the Navy. Like, what are some things that uh, stand out most about that part of your journey? Yes. Let me, Edward. Let me say something before that. Sometimes when I talk about my life, people that I worked with in the Navy, they begin. Oh, I got because I get feedback, and they're like, well, "I didn't know you were going through such difficult times when you were working." And it's like, no, there's two different chapters here. This is before the Navy, right? Yeah. Um, right, where I went through a lot of these shadows and difficulties, right, and where I dealt with that, I stepped mm-hmm. away dealt with it, and then I stepped into naval chaplaincy. Um, and again, I think my experience has served me, my ministry, and all everything that that happened before 2018 helped me to serve better. Yeah. And I, and I can just repeat what I've said before is in the in mil, military chaplaincy. First of all, I love the diversity of the ministry. You know, mm-hmm. you're, I'm at a base, but there's 5,000 people and I'm the chaplain to everyone. It's not, you know, it's not faith-based. And it was part of what I wanted to do. I didn't want to only serve Catholics, but I wanted to serve the human person and that diversity yeah. Yeah. and military chaplaincy brought me that, that uh, gave me that ability and and to 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 just be in people's in so many people's lives and again in their joyful moments but also in their most tragic moments since when wherever you have a large mass of humanity right and they're in the military it's a lot of there's they're on the younger side right so wherever the, there's going to be a lot of challenges and so again again you're you're able to sit in that sacred space to with people that you've never met before and you probably never see again, but where the chaplaincy that the chaplain is afforded that very special grace to sit in that sacred space and where people can have the confidence to open up because that's protected by law, right? Well, of confidentiality, what we call privileged communication. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think people in their dealings with me, that they felt cared for, that they felt understood which in the end, going back to the golden, that's what people, people want to be seen. They want to be valued. They want to be cared for and understood, right? Not judged. And so being able to sit in that place and, and just take people where they're at. And it's just so meaningful. And the life of a chaplain is very dynamic because every day is never the same. You don't know what's waiting around the corner. Yep. Right. And so you just invite it into people's lives in such special ways. And, and when people, you know, when a Marine or a sailor, they're, they're able to walk away and you see where they're able to smile again, where they have a sparkle in their eye again, where they, they can now make sense of, of what they're going through, or at least make sense of how to deal with it. And mm-hmm. um, a weight's been lifted off their shoulders. It's, it's very satisfying, right? I mean, um, did I do anything special? No, but you just um, afforded that very privileged place to be there with them and to listen and to support. Do you think your time as a chaplain led to your work as a diversity inclusion trainer? I think, uh, yes. I. It's funny. I, <laughs> I'm going to be very honest here. With the, the trend in you know in diversity, equity, inclusion training, it's I when th- anything becomes a trend or a fad, 
um, I sort of feel rejection towards it. Like, ah, I'm not going to get involved in that. But there was a friend of mine that said, this, I thought you were going to, you know, when I had a call with him and he said, I thought you were going to pitch me that you wanted to offer diversity and inclusion training in our company. And I said, no, I because he, he looked at me and said, that's the, because of your past and your experience, you'd be such a perfect fit for that. So that helped me. And this is where, you know, going back to your question about getting caught up in my head, sometimes I'm my, you know, I'm my biggest obstacle, my worst enemy, where right? right. I get caught up in my head and I, and I get in my way. Right. And so this, this, this guy was able to sort of bring that away and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a white heterosexual male. That might not be to my advantage, but my experience and my love for the human person and dignity and, and all the dignity of the human person and the, my diver, the diversity of my experience um, and of diversity of ministry um, is definitely something that I can bring. So that's, that's sort of what opened the door of being able to, to see that as a, see my experience in my past as something that would definitely, that I could leverage to, to help that space and to educate and train and, and help people to, to, to I'm just going back to, you know, to, to love and to respect mm -hmm. the human being and to take people from where they're at and to see, to see that in a, in such, from such a beautiful lens. With diversity, because we, we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion, but talk to us, what do you think is the biggest misconception with the word diversity? I think with diversity, the, the, what, what sort of strikes me is that diversity is kind of seen as a new thing. And I've never seen diversity as a new thing. The, the diversity of the human race and of, and of the world and of the creation, it's, it's always been there. Yeah. And there's, and there's a beauty to it. Now, as human beings that we haven't dealt with it properly, definitely. Right, <laughs> that we, we we all have whatever because of education, culture, whatever. There's always these filters that people look through, these lenses that people use to look. Um, but I think what strikes me is that they see it, it's as if it was a new thing. Yeah, it's, every person is different. You know, and this isn't even on based on 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 skin color, on faith, on culture, on um, on sexual orientation. Or anything like that. It, is, it goes deeper than that. Yeah. Every person is different. Yep. Experiences. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. What you said about how we treat it like it's this new topic that's just been brought up, but it's been around longer than leadership. So, <laughs> but okay. And talk to us about you said working towards masters at Penn State. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm in a master's program. Thank you to the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. Great yeah. benefit to military <laughs> service. Yes. Right. And when I went into ministry, you know, in the, as a naval chaplain, I didn't think of that. Right? That wasn't that wasn't my goal. Right. My goal was to help um, clarify things in my own life. Mm -hmm. Right. And also to do something again, to, to do something meaningful for, for such a, a unique public, which is the people in the armed services. So um, so GI Bill benefits. So I just is in my master's in the psychology of leadership. Really it's leadership studies, but through the from the perspective of human behavior and leadership is one of those words that means everything and nothing at the same time it's been yeah. so so overused and so i wanted to get, be in a program that would look at it from a, a deeper scientific perspective from um from of human behavior right i didn't want to just learn a bunch of nice phrases and, you know about what it means to be a leader and 
so that's why I, I chose the program because it's, it's virtual. I don't, I don't have to be in, in Philadelphia to do it in Pennsylvania. Um, so I'm doing that and it's to strengthen the, the abilities and the services that I bring as, as a coach, consultant and trainer to people in leadership positions and to their teams. I would, I would love to connect you with my wife. She's actually working on her, her degree in human psychology as well. And some of the topics that she's writing these papers on, uh, so intriguing. And she'll ask me, she asked me about one this morning and I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, but it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for opening up about that. And now talk to us about um, Bracket Alliance. Yes, Edward, let me go back a little bit just around my education. Mm-hmm. I, I, as you know, to become a priest, there's a lot of intense education and training that goes into that. So I've been afforded the ability, you know, to you get a bachelor's in philosophy, that's mandatory. You get a bachelor's in theology, that's mandatory. but I was able to do further studies in, in a master's in spiritual theology, mm. which is you know, from a Catholic perspective, but very focused on, on spirituality, on the spirituality of the human person, the relationship with the transcendent, and the relationship with the transcendent with the human being and the human being with the transcendent. Um, and then I did some postgraduate studies in family education and um, in counseling. Uh, when I was in Chile, and then I did a, a, another specialized degree in human development, uh, the, the development of the human person in light of vocation, in light of making decisions for um, vocational decisions, you know, commitment in life. So that was, again, very helpful. And I didn't want to go back to school again. I was, you know, I was, I'm not a big fan yeah. of studies, but, um, but I like to learn so that, that then I so this, this last program with the master's at Penn State will hopefully be the last time I go to formal learning. Um, but then you're going to end up being Dr. Brackett after that because you'll go back again. No, no, no. <laughs> I've been very, very fortunate. Right? So that's just from the educational side, that's sort of also what I bring to the table in my services. My experience of life as a person, as an individual, my experience in serving so many other people and their lives. And then... And then the educational side, which, which uh, I think is also is helpful. Yeah. So bracket alliance is has a few things to it. It's really about the human element, the human human relationship, whether that be in I work with couples, mm-hmm. and whether that be on the romantic side, whether in preparing for a committed relationship, or they're already in one, they just want to freshen things up. There's a, a journey that I do with them. The main focus, though, is more towards people in leadership positions how they lead their life and how they lead others. Because I think leadership, it begins with self-leadership, right? And self, how we deal with ourselves. Um, which again, we could, there's a lot we could talk about there, but that's sort of the focus, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, is business and corporate America and finance, is that my specialty? Not at all. I think my specialty is the, is the human element, the human person. And so some people value that, other people won't see value in that, but that's sort of what I, what I bring. And so that's where diversity and inclusion is also fits into the equation. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just the, the human element. And I'm trying to really bring expertise to groups, to individuals, to, to organizations, uh, expertise from, from that angle. Now, is this all done virtually or like where can they find you? Yeah, I'm still building the business side. So um, they can find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. My website should be up in, in a few months, which is bracketalliance.com. 
but LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me. And um, a lot of it's virtual now, but um, and also because I'm studying, I haven't really focused on building my client base. Yeah. But in a few months, that will come where I'll be opening up and looking for more opportunities to serve. And, but I also, I enjoy the training educational environment, you know, whether it be groups, small groups or larger groups. So there's, again, there's that training educational side yeah, with teams or groups of people. And then there's the indiv- individual side. So both. I'm just curious. I don't, I don't know why I didn't, this didn't occur to me sooner, but especially with your journeys and everywhere that you've been and also where you're at this stage in your life. How did COVID impact you? Where were you at? And, and what did that do for you career-wise? Because it seemed like you were kind of in a transition period around that time. I was, I was a Navy chaplain. So my life, and for those of us who were, who were in the military during that, my life didn't change. I worked at an educational training command. We continued to make Marines. And so I continued to show up at work. Now, guidelines changed and, you know, on how we did certain things. But I never, I never quarantined. I never, I never, I never stayed home from work. So, um, so did it, it didn't really affect my life that much. That's the simple answer. Yeah. Um, did I, then I, just a few months ago, I got COVID. I was living with my dad. My dad got COVID. So how did it affect my life personally? We lost my dad through COVID-induced. Um, Sorry to hear that. Right, and he got it, and he went down really quick. I was so happy to be able to be with him because when my mother passed, I hadn't seen her for two years because I was mm-hmm. in ministry in a foreign country. So it was very special to be with my dad during those moments to care for him. But um, so on a personal level, well, it's definitely hit home on a very personal level. Yeah, once again, I appreciate you sharing that, and my condolences to you. Um, yeah, I mean, you you seem like, I mean, what you talk about diversity being experiences and things we've been through and everybody's different. And what an incredible journey you've had up to this point. You're still not done building on it with the, the schooling and about to, you know, really hit the ground running with your business and everything. But kind of forecasting out like 20, 30 years from now, like what do you see your legacy being? Thank you, Edward. I I do. I'm very. I'm itching to kind of get to work. Um, the the academic environment is not where I flourish, right? Because yeah. you have to be at home, you have to study, you have to read, you have to. I I social interaction for me is very important. I'm not. I'm not a researcher and an academic. Mm-hmm. Although I like to learn and I like to bring good knowledge to people. So, where do I want to be? And I'm in, like I said, I'm itching to get to work to be active. Um, I. I just want to reach a lot of people, uh, you know, and again, and I reached a lot of people in, in my previous um, life of ministry, but I suppose if this is to serve people in a new capacity in a different way, but to continue to, to be, to be a great support. And I suppose if I were to be honest, I, I would like to be considered a, a point of reference in certain aspects, whether it be leadership, the human element, if it was diversity, whatever, or all of those. And, and as someone that can, that brings uh, a lot of depth to the table. Yeah. And, and wisdom. That sounds maybe a bit arrogant, but I would like to be able to bring a lot of wisdom and depth to, to people's lives and to the table, to any conferences and, and seminars that, um, that I have the ability to give and to open up windows for people 
to allow them to see themselves and to see life in a, in a different way. Nice. Well, what, uh, what final comment do you have for our listeners? Put me on the spot here. <laughs> um, a final comment for your listeners here in the Shadows podcast would be that when we're going through difficulty and challenges, or crisis, that's a whole other thing that I love, love to talk about, right. is um, because of the way our brain is, is sort of wired and trained is we, we, we go into crisis mode where we focus in on what's at hand, right? But we can miss, we can miss the collateral beauty. So I suppose my encouragement to people would be in the midst of challenges and difficulties to, uh, to lift up our heads to look around and to be able to see the collateral beauty. And I have to say that there's, there were a lot of people who reached out to me, who were supportive when I was in my darker moments. And, and I don't think I, sometimes I didn't notice. Mm. And I feel bad about that because I didn't, wasn't able to notice people that, that cared, right? And what is that? That's led me to when I know that people are going through difficulties that I, I reach out and I, and I don't expect anything in return. I don't expect them to reach out back to me, but, but I know that when I was going through the, I, all I wanted, I wanted people to care. Yeah. I often felt that there's two sides. I, I highlighted that some people did care and maybe I didn't notice it to the, in, in its totality, but I also did notice that a lot of people and didn't show up yeah. and I found that very hurtful but back to your question the collateral duty of going through challenges difficulties and crisis well I can't thank you enough for taking time to be here on the podcast pretty cool got a guest from Mexico City on here but no thank you for sharing your story for opening up for being your authentic you here on the show uh, and for taking time to do this. I'm definitely going to, I'm a connector as well. So I'm definitely going to have to keep in contact with you. Thank you, Edward. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be on this wonderful podcast. Yeah, this was great. So folks, hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please go leave us a review over at theshadowspodcast.com. Let us know. It does help us spread the word and continue to spread the word of what the shadows is doing Folks, that is going to conclude this episode of the Shadows Podcast.